Uh, good morning, everybody. How you doing? We feeling all right? A lively, lively uh, bunch this morning, I should say, uh, in a good way. I love that this church can just, we can just come and we can be natural and be together and, and enjoy each other's company. So it um, doesn't have to be all formal and stingy, right? Um, it's good to be here. We do have another sheep-filled slash goat-filled passage this morning. Um, and uh, today is from the Old Testament, from one of the OGs in the Bible. Uh, we talk about, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to go this morning, we're going to talk about the grandson of Abraham, who is Jacob. Um, and uh, I want you to pay attention. There's some similarities that you're going to notice in this story as, as Jacob works with his uncle Laban, um, as Abraham or Abram at that time worked with his nephew Lot, right? So there's some similarities in their stories, but pay attention to the total difference in the outcome between the, that Abram has, and Ab- or Abraham, but Abram at that time, uh, in his relationship with God that Jacob does in his relationship with God. Um, and I'll just be honest, Jacob is one of those biblical characters that we celebrate. You know, he's one of the founders, one of the fathers of our faith. He's one of the big three, um, but I don't get him. I just don't, I just don't get him. Um, he's just a guy who repeatedly found himself in questionable circumstances, reacting with some questionable uh, uh, actions, and, uh, and I've just really never known how to wrap my head around that with him. Um, I think about the, the lessons that we try and teach our kids, like from the very beginning as they're growing up, right? These moral lessons of uh, like, be honest, right? Tell the truth. Don't lie. Um, don't take things that aren't yours. Uh, get along with your siblings. Uh, play nice. Uh, respect your parents. Jacob is over on all of those things. Jacob does none of those things, Right? I mean, just look at him. He is probably best known for manipulating his brother uh, with the help of his mom, lying to his dad in order to steal a birthright and uh, a blessing, right? Like, he's just, <laughs> he's not a guy that I want to like, point my boys to and say, look, that's a man you want to be like, right? It's, he's not that guy. He's not that guy. Um, and so honestly, I don't like Jacob all that much. <laughs> He's not a guy I want to hang out with. Um, but despite all that, right, God uses him. God blesses him. We have him as like the parental or the uh, father, how do you say that? Paternal, there you go. Paternal um, uh, lineage of Jesus, our savior. Um, and so I get Jacob on that aspect, right? That, that God can use anybody and everything at any point. Um, but He's just not a guy that I like very much. Um, But anyway, God blessed him, and I think we can learn a lot from him. So we're going to look at his story this morning, a part of his story. Um, So we're going to go to Genesis 30. And before we get there, just to set it up, or just to to warn you, there's a lot of of story before we get to the point this morning, okay? Um, But to set it up, if uh, if, if you don't know the story, Jacob, again, he had struggles with his brothers and with his uh, relationship with his dad and all that kind of stuff. But what ends up happening is his brother Esau says, out of what happens there, he says, listen, when dad dies, I'm going to kill you, right? That's what he says. So Jacob goes, huh, I should probably get out of here before 
dad dies. So Jacob runs with the help of his mom, uh, Rebecca, or yeah, Rebecca. I always get Rebecca and Rachel mixed up. But um, Jacob, Jacob runs with the help of his, his mom to uh, his uncle's place, Laban. Okay, Laban is his uncle, um, who in a roundabout way also ends up becoming his father-in-law because Jacob ends up marrying Leah and Rachel, his uncle's two daughters, which are his first cousins, which is not weird at all, and it's totally normal. Um, but in the process of that, okay, in the process of that, Jacob gets a taste, he gets a taste of his own medicine, really, because it turns out that Laban is a little bit of a cheat and manipulator himself, okay? And so um, what happens is Jacob agrees, he falls in love with Rachel, and he agrees with Laban to work for Laban for seven years for the right to marry Rachel. And what happens is Laban switches out Leah at the end, and Jacob doesn't realize that till the next morning, and I don't know how that happens either, but um, so then he's married to Leah instead, okay? Uh, and it's not what he wanted. It's not a good start foundation for a relationship or a marriage at all. He's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I need to work for you for seven more years. Um, so he works for Laban for seven more years in order to earn the, uh, the right or the privilege to marry his second daughter, Rachel. And, uh, and so he does. And so you can imagine the working relationship between these two men, between Laban, his father-in-law slash uncle, and Jacob, who didn't really set out to work for this man that long anyway, right? He's just kind of happenstance. So you can imagine that a lot of his years were not great in, in the service of, of this man who he ends up working for um, out, of, out of, you know, not great circumstances. And so um, this all happens. And then Jacob finally marries Leah and Rachel. And then Rachel finally has uh, Joseph, a son, um, who is Jacob's favorite. And... Uh, and that's where our story starts, because later Jacob's like, all right, it's time, okay, it's time. So Genesis 30, verse 25. Now it came about when Rachel had given birth to Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away so that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go, for you yourself know my service, which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, if it pleases you at all, stay with me. I have determined by divination that the Lord has blessed me on your account. And he continued, name your wages and I will give them. So um, Jacob's like, listen, it's time. It's time for me to go. It's time for me to be able to build my family and, and, and prosper and on our own. Um, it's time I move on and uh, will, you, will you just let me go? And Laban says, actually, I'd really prefer that you stay because things have gone really well for me while you're here, Jacob. Um, the Lord has, has blessed me since you've been here. And um, so what I'd, I'd like to offer you instead is you name your price. Name your price. And, and I'd like for you to stay on. Um, pick it up in verse 29. But Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock had fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased to a multitude and the Lord has blessed you whenever I wherever I turned. The Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. See that? But now, 
when shall I provide for my own household? So Jacob's like, yeah, I know. I know it's gone well for you. I know the Lord has blessed you since I've been here. Look at your flocks. Remember what they were when I got here? Wasn't much. And now we got a lot. I know the Lord has blessed you because of me, but when will I get to prosper from that? When will I get the benefit? Because as of right now, I'm just working for you as a hired hand. and I get nothing, right? Um, so Jacob's like, yes, I know. Um, and he goes on, Laban, sa- Laban says, okay, well, what shall I, what shall I uh, give you then? And basically, Jacob says, um, you know what? You don't have to pay me anything. I've got a proposition for you, okay? I've got an idea here. And what I want to do is I want to go through your flocks and any sheep that is not white, so any spotted or speckled sheep or a black sheep, any sheep that is not white, we'll, be, we'll, we'll sort it out and I'll take it. It'll be mine. And any, black, any goat that is not black, so spotted, speckled goat that is not black, solid black, I'll take for mine. Which means that Laban, you will end up with the solid white sheep and the solid black goats, okay? And that, those will be yours. Um, and the rest of it I will take for myself. And Laban thinks, huh, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Because at that time and in that part of the world, sheep were mostly white. The majority of sheep were white and the majority of goats of that kind were black. And so it benefited Laban a lot to say, huh, I've gotten a lot of work out of this guy, 14 years of work, plus we'll find out six more years. So I've gotten a lot of work out of this guy and I don't really have to pay him very much um, as kind of like a parting gift kind of a thing to say, here's yours benefit for working for me, right? Um, and so that's, uh, they, they agree. It sounds like a good plan to Laban. Um, he's going he's gonna to fare well on this. He's got a lot of sheep already and a lot of goats at this point. So Jacob is going to take anything that is not completely white, any sheep that's not completely light, and any goat that is not completely black. That's the easiest way to say it, okay? Um, and, and he's going to go and, and uh, do things that way. And again, it seemed like a great deal for Laban. And honestly, it was kind of foolproof too. And Jacob says so. Listen, if I end up with any sheep that's not mine, you're going to know it because I'll have a white sheep in my flock. And we agreed that that wouldn't happen. Or I'll have a black goat in my flock. You're going to know. It's kind of foolproof. It'd be real easy to tell if I try to cheat you in any way. And so that's what happens. Jacob goes through the flock um, and he picks out all the spotted and the speckled ones or all the black sheep um, and, uh, and takes them as his own. And in verse 36 of chapter 30, it says, and he put a distance of three days, he gives them to his sons to care for, or his son. And he put a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So he says here, take these sheep that we decided are mine, the spotted and speckled ones, gives them to his son and sends them off three days away so that there's no confusion about whose is whose and what's what, right? Um, and then Jacob returns to his duties. He returns to caring for Laban's flock. So now he's caring for all the white sheep and all the black goats. Verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar, almond and plane trees, so sticks, and he peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white that was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the drinking troughs, that is, in the watering channels where the flocks came to drink, and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks delivered striped, speckled, and spotted offspring. Verse 43, so the man became exceedingly prosperous, this is Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous, and had large flocks, and female and male servants, and camels, 
and donkeys, all right? So Jacob's, Jacob's plan is, I've made this deal with Laban, um, and it's, it's very interesting what he does here, right? He takes this agreement that he's made with Laban, um, and he decides, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my own luck here, okay? I'm going to build my own advantage. He's going he's gonna to do something to tip the scales in his favor. Um, and so what he does is he takes sticks of these three different kinds of trees, sticks, rods, and he, you know how like when you whittle, like if you take that first strip off, there's like the dark bark on the outside and the light wood in, inside? Like that's what, that's what Jacob does. He whittles a stick, takes it, takes a strip, turns it a little bit, takes a strip. I can only imagine, or in my mind, I'm seeing like if you've ever peeled cucumbers, like with make it look stripy, right? Just, he does that. He, he peels it a little bit, turns it, skips it, peels it, that kind of thing. So now he's got a stick or he's got lots of rods that are very striped um, with their bark. And he puts these sticks in the water troughs so that as he's caring for Laban's white sheep and black goats, as they come down to drink from these watering troughs, they drink from the troughs that have these striped sticks in them. They mate because they're all there together. They mate beside these striped sticks. And all of a sudden, you've got striped and speckled lambs and kids, baby goats that come out of this thing, right? Um, And so Jacob does very well by this thing. That's, that's Jacob's plan, and it works. It works really well. Jacob gets very wealthy, very prosperous off of this, um, and uh, they've already agreed that those are his, so they all go to his flock, and he does well. He benefits from it. And so we recognize that, that God continued to bless Jacob wherever he went. Wherever Jacob went and whatever he did was fruitful, and Jacob knew it. That's the thing, right? Jacob knew it. And this thing with the striped and the spotted animals is just, it's another one of those situations, okay? The difference is now that Jacob gets that benefit himself. He gets to reap that benefit for himself um, rather than it going to Laban, who he's working for. And so um, the process is after this happens, they end up splitting. But there's one more thing that I wanna show you. I wanna read to you. Um, one more um, showdown, I guess, that happens between Jacob and Laban before they officially separate and go their own ways, okay? Um, because this is a whole other story, and we read, usually read it as a separate event, but this is all part of the process. Um, when Jacob leaves, and he takes his two wives, and he takes his children, and he takes his servants, and all of his animals, he does it by night, okay? He feels like he needs to sneak off. He doesn't want Laban to know he's leaving because he knows that Laban doesn't really want him to leave and is going to do whatever he can possibly do to keep him from leaving. And now all of a sudden, Jacob has all of these animals and he's very prosperous on his own and he's going to leave him with little and all this kind of stuff. So he, he sneaks out by night and Laban re- realizes it. Laban's sons come and tell him. And in the process, Laban realizes that somebody has stolen his household idols. Okay, He's got these idols in his house and, and those are gone. Somebody's stolen them. And it turns out that it was Rachel, his daughter, uh, that stole these things, so Jacob's wife. Now, neither Laban nor Jacob know that Rachel has done this, um, but she steals these things. Um, and Laban comes accusing, chasing down Jacob, catches him, and is accusing Jacob of stealing his stuff, okay? And uh, Rachel hides the idols. They don't find them. And, uh, and so Ra- or Jacob 
not knowing that Rachel has done this, responds to Laban's accusations very strongly, right? The truth comes out for, for Jacob and what he thinks about this. So if you go to 31, chapter 31, verse 36, we're gonna, I wanna tell you about this story. I want you to read it. So then Jacob became angry and he argued with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have searched through all my property, what have you found of all of your household property? Set it here in front of my relatives and your relatives so that they may decide between the two of us. In other words, you didn't find anything, right? Put everything that you found right here in front of us, which is nothing. That's yours, right? He's very upset. For these 20 years, I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. I did not even bring to you that which was torn by the animals. I took the loss myself. You demanded, it of, you demanded it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. This is how I was. By the day, the heat consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. For these 20 years, I have been in your house. I have served you for 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. In other words, I have done nothing but served you well. I have done nothing but taken good care of your flocks and you have done nothing but benefited from me, right? How dare you accuse me now of stealing from you? How dare you? As long as I have worked from you, worked for you, you have benefited from my work. I did everything right. I worked hard. I took the losses when it was actually you that should have took the losses. You have cheated me. You have taken advantage of me at every turn that you could possibly think of. And now you're gonna sit here and accuse me of stealing your silly idols. There is no proof. You can hear it in Jacob's voice, right? He's frustrated with this. And then I wanna read you this last line that he says in all of this. He says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. I'd be bankrupt if God wasn't looking out for me. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands. So he rendered judgment last night. Now, what judgment is he talking about? He's talking about Laban losing his idols, right? He's talking about God taking away Laban's idols. He doesn't know that Rachel has stolen them. But from his perspective, God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. He's seen how I have suffered under you. He has seen how well I served under you, even under all of that affliction, He's seen the labor of my hands. He's protected me and blessed me. And now he's judged you. He stole your idols. And what I want you to see in that last statement in this interaction is that it shows us something about Jacob's understanding of his relationship to God, okay? Jacob is recognizing that the Lord has blessed him, okay? He's recognizing that, that Laban has been blessed because of him. Everything he did Went, went well and was blessed. It's the Lord's blessing with Jacob. But Jacob says, God has seen my affliction. He has seen the labor of my hands. And because of that, he has rendered judgment. Okay? He has seen my work. This is Jacob. He's seen my work despite your treatment of me. He's seen how humbly I served you, how well I worked. And now he's rendered judgment on you because of all of those things. So how does Jacob understand his relationship to God in that moment? 
How does he understand God's blessing and God's work in his life? He's seen it as a result of his own hands. Do you see the connection? He's seen it as a result of the work of his own hands. God has seen my good suffering for you. He's seen my steadfast work, and now he's blessed me, and he's passed judgment on you, Laban. He's stolen your idols. Now take that and that understanding, and let's go back to the story that we started with, okay? Because I saw some wrinkled foreheads. I saw some squinty eyes as we read and we talked about this spotted goat and and spotted sheep thing. Jacob whittles some sticks so that they're striped, okay? And he puts them in the water troughs for the sheep and the goats to drink and then mate next to, and voila, he has lambs and kids that are striped and spotted. Amazing, okay? It works. You and I look at that and go, "Mm, that's not the way it works, (laughs) right? That's, That's not how it works. You don't get spotted or striped goats and sheep because they drank water with striped sticks in it or they mated next to striped sticks. That's not how it works. Genetics is how it works. We know. We can manipulate those genetics and come out with these things, right? You don't get blonde-haired, blue-eyed children because the walls were yellow and there's a jar of blue marbles on the shelf. You understand what I'm saying? Or because the parents drank lemonade and ate blueberries on the date before consummation. It doesn't happen, okay? You don't get, that's not the way these things work. Genetics is how it works. Eighth grade biology will tell you, right, Miles? (laughs) He looked up at me. Eighth grade biology teaches dominant and recessive genes, And the idea of two dominant genes together brings a dominant gene, and a dominant and recessive gene could bring either, or two recessive genes brings the recessive trait, and all that kind of stuff, right? It's DNA. There's no stripey sticks involved. We know that's not how it works. And yet it worked. Hmm. Jacob knows that it worked. Quote, knows that it worked. Okay, Jacob got wealthy after he put striped sticks in the water next to the mating flocks. It worked. He knows that's how it worked because it worked, right? And I can tell you with 99.999999% certainty that if for some reason in the future, Jacob needed or wanted more striped flocks or more spotted flocks, he's gonna start whittling some sticks because it worked. but I'm here to tell you it didn't work. It didn't work. At least not because of some stripy sticks, okay? Jacob revealed his understanding of how his relationship with God functioned, how the presence of God and the blessing of God in his life worked when he made this statement. He's seen the labor of my hands and he rendered judgment. Jacob knows that it is the labor of his hands that has brought the blessing and the protection of God in his life. He knows that it is the good that was his, it was his good suffering 
under the affliction and the labor of his hands that brought judgment, the judgment of God on Laban. He knows that. Except that it was Rachel that stole the idols and not the judgment of God that took them. But as far as he's seeing things, he knows that's how it works. And this situation with the sticks and the sheep is just further confirmation of what he already knows. God works in my life because my efforts are pleasing to him. God does certain things in my life because of certain things that I do or the way that I do them in order to make them happen. He's seen the labor of my hands. He's seen the unjust affliction and he so he rendered judgment. And knowing that's how Jacob understands his relationship with God, it fills in a few blanks with the stripy stick situation. Because what Jacob is doing with these sticks is making sure that God's gonna bless him in this situation, okay? He's helping God out a little bit by the work of his hands so that he can go away prosperous out of this whole thing. And for Jacob, it worked, even though... We know that's not the way it works. So what are we getting at? Where where is all this going? Well, it occurred to me as I was reading this and as I was thinking about this, that what Jacob is doing with the sticks, he's doing because he thinks it's necessary in order for him to come out on top. He thinks it's necessary in order for him to be blessed, that he needs to to do this thing, whatever it is, he needs to do it for God to work. That he needs to whittle some sticks and put them in the water where the sheep are in in, in order to multiply and come out with these kids so that he's got the advantage here, so that God has blessed him, so that God is gonna work in this situation. And Jacob has to do it because he knows, quote, that that's how God works. That the blessing of God or the work of God is dependent on the work of his hand. And he knows that because it's worked. I didn't know how to approach this thing. I read it several weeks ago and I'm like, I don't know where to go with that. Because I wrinkled my head and I'm wrinkled my forehead. I'm like, that's not the way it works. But I just wondered this morning how many things we've picked up as habits or rituals or traditions or superstitions in our relationship with God that we do because they work or because one time they worked. In our minds or in in, in the way that we live, practically, if we don't do those things, it's not gonna work or God's not gonna work. God won't answer our prayers or the Holy Spirit won't be present in the room or we won't see the blessing of God in our life or our family won't be protected when they leave our house and they go out on the road. We do these things, we do them in a certain way because they work. And I'm talking about super basic things in your relationship with God. When you sit down for a meal, do you pray? Probably, I do. Why? Because you want to thank God, right? You want to thank him for his blessing? Is it habit? Is it tradition? Is it because you want to talk to God anyway and the meal is a good reminder to do it? 
Is it because God might give you indigestion if you don't? You want to just make sure? It's a great thing to do. Talk with Jesus. Talk with him. Thank him for providing and meeting your needs. But what if you forget? I picked up a habit when I was was younger, and there's nothing wrong with this. Let me preface it by saying that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with this, but it occurred to me in this context. Um, A visiting pastor came to our church, and when he preached, he he preached on the idea of prayer and how we pray, um, and the idea that we should pray in Jesus' name, right? Because Jesus said in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done, right? And so we pray in Jesus' name. So when I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. But what if I don't? <laughs> is, it, is it like a key that unlocks the door to an answered prayer? Is it like word? I don't know. We, we treat it that way, don't we? We're a vineyard church, so I'll pick on the vineyard a little bit. At any large vineyard gathering, or often at the local church vineyard level, if there is a ministry time, the person who is leading the ministry time will at some point say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And that goes all the way back to when John Wimber was first starting their their first church. They would invite the Holy Spirit and they would say, come Holy Spirit. And I know it's never meant this way. But I've been in situations where it feels like hocus pocus alakazam. Do you know what I mean? It feels like, feels like words that we're, we're hoping mean something in order for the spirit to come because if we don't say them, we're not sure it's gonna happen. It feels like an like a, like a incantation, right? Um, that God wants to come and he wants to move in power. He's just waiting for us to say the magic words. It's how we can treat it sometimes. That's how it feels. And I know it's never meant in that way, but I've had that feeling in those meetings sometimes. Why do we do these things? Many times it's because it worked once, twice, maybe, right? And if it works as humans, well, that must be the way it works. So we repeat it, okay? Even after we forget why we did it or what the situation was and those circumstances have changed and all that kind of thing. And we do those things because they work in our relationship with God. And what happens is they become our religion. I gave a large amount of money to my church on Sunday, and on Monday I had the biggest sale ever. Hmm. One must have caused the other right? God must have liked when I gave more, so now he's blessing me because of it. You see what I'm saying? We, we, we make these connections because they work, because something happened. Well, that, I got to do that again. I got to do that again. When we pray, right? Catholics pray. He's seen the labor of my hands and he rendered judgment. I threw some stripy sticks in the water and out came stripy goats, problem with that is it doesn't work. That's not what made it happen. Stripy sticks don't bring stripy goats. God didn't render judgment on Laban because he saw the work of Jacob's hands. That was Jacob's wife stealing the things, but it reinforced what he already understood and how he already thought about his relationship with God. So then 
the question is, okay, if that's not the way it works, then why does God answer prayers when we pray in Jesus' name? Or why does the Holy Spirit move powerfully when we say, come Holy Spirit? Or why does the Lord bless us at times when we give extra? If it doesn't work, then why do we see results? I think what we're seeing is a God who loves us so much that when we think we need to do X, Y, and Z in order to get results, he meets us there. So when you think you have to stand on your head and do 10 jumping jacks before you pray in order for God to answer that prayer, he doesn't say, um, no, that's not the way it works. That's a dumb idea. Why are you doing that? He says, okay, I love you. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You don't have to do that, but I love you. God is big enough that he is willing to meet us where we are, even in those religious things that we think we have to do because they work. He's saying, I'm not doing this because you did that. Your actions are not convincing me to respond. I'm doing this because I love you unconditionally. So the next logical question is, if God meets us there, even in those things, what does it matter if I think I have to do those things? to have him meet a need or to have him hear me? What does it matter whether it is the function of me putting sticks into the water or, or whether it's God blessing me because he wants to bless me? Regardless. Well, in the end, it really doesn't matter except in the way that you experience your relationship with him and your fellowship with him. Jacob thought he had to make the situation right for God to bless him. He thought he had to manipulate and lie and cheat to get the blessing when the reality is God's blessing was on him and not his actions. God was working in him and on him because of who he was, not because of the things he was doing. And what I want you to see this morning is that you can release some of that baggage some of those religious things, those mechanisms, those traditions, and let's just call them what they are, superstitions, right? You can release some of those in your, in your life and in your walk with God. Jesus took care of all those things. The curtain was torn. The chasm that separated us from him has been closed in Jesus in the cross and in the resurrection. It's been overcome. He undid it all. You can lay it down. And I'm not saying I dare you to just see what happens, right? I'm asking you to prayerfully consider, talk with God about it, ask him, Examine what a new covenant relationship, a new covenant relationship. What is a new covenant relationship with him based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus? What does that actually mean for how we get to experience our heavenly father in this life? What does that actually mean? 
Ask him. Talk to him. In Jesus' name, of course. There is freedom. There is freedom that we don't realize. And I believe God just wants to continue to peel away those layers of religion that are in us, just continually. There's always something new that we've brought up or that we've made up or that we think we have to do or that whatever. And he he wants to continue to peel those away so that we can experience him in a one-on-one relationship without all that stuff. I ask you to think about the similarities that we see in this story of Jacob that we see with the story of Abram. And Jacob ended this thing with, God has seen the work of my hands. He's seen my good suffering and he's rendered judgment. So that's how, that's how he understood his relationship with God. Abram, who was far from perfect, said, Lot, you choose. God's going with me wherever we go. He understood that the blessing, Abraham understood the blessing was on him because God was with him, not because he had ever done the right thing. He had ever chose the right thing. He had ever made the situation appropriate or right or whatever. He understood the blessing was on him as a person, as an individual. And that's how it works with us. We just got even better than Abram because we got the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father, in us, with us, as a relationship of one. That's what he's done. That's absolutely what he's done. Let's just pray real quick. Lord, we want to we have open hands. As my buddy says, we want to have open hand theology, where this is what we believe. Now, God, we hold on to you. We hold on to Jesus and the resurrection but everything else we hold loosely. God, would you peel away those layers of religion, those layers of habits, of traditions, of superstitions, of whatever, would you peel them away so that we can really experience you in relationship in the way that that we were meant to? And that is a totally unhindered relationship without shame, without fear, without blame, because you have done away with it all. God, we want to experience you in reality. We want to experience you in purity. We want to experience you in righteousness. Because you've made us that way, Lord. Would you help us to see it? In daily life, would you help us to see it? Would you help us to see it becoming more of a reality for us every day? More and more as you peel away those layers, God of the things, the man-made mechanisms that we think need to be done. Peel them away, Lord. Let us walk with you fused in relationship. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Why don't y'all stand up to your feet and let's continue to worship him for who he is.